Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 110 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so super glad that you're here today. Today, I am talking to the amazing, incredible Marion Roach-Smith. I have wanted her on the show uh, probably since I started the show 109 episodes ago, and uh, she was a big ask, one that I was actually a little bit too nervous to make cold, um, but we accidentally ended up on the same teaching panel at an online conference, and so I used that connection to reach out to her and Today we talk about writing and we talk about memoir and don't tune away just because I say memoir. Uh, we do go pretty deep into memoir, but memoir is just story. And no matter what you write, I really think this this conversation between us will have something of deep value for you. She is incredible. You can kind of hear that in my voice as I talk to her. Everything that she's saying is kind of lighting light bulbs up in my mind. So I hope that you have the same experience. Um, so sorry, this is a little bit late. It's a day late because Thanksgiving was yesterday and I will hit publish on this as soon as I finish recording. I was going to record this this morning, Friday morning after Thanksgiving, but something told me to look at the romance because I needed to turn it into my copy editor today. I had done all the edits from my developmental editor. Um, that's what I've been doing for the last week. And the book is, the book is good. I hated writing it. You know that I did. I hated writing that first draft, but, um, it's turned out to be a good little book. I'm proud of it. And, uh, but the thing about me is I never write an epilogue until I absolutely have to. Usually it's after copy edits. Um, and if it's a self-published book, it's right before I publish it. Or if it's going to my editor in its final draft, it's the very last minute. Like my, my editor never sees the epilogue. Um, and many romances actually, I think they don't need epilogues, but they certainly fare better with them because, um, in romance, particularly that, that romantic moment is often at the very last minute. Everything works out and, you know, the, 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 the fabled kiss with the sunset behind them, right? Um, if you've been reading a book and you've been waiting for this perfect outcome, it's kind of a harsh stopping point when it just goes to black and it's gone. So epilogues are really, really used in romance because it gives us another 2000 words of happiness to kind of soak in and revel in. Uh, but for me, they're always something I come up with later. So I was going to send this to my copy editor without an epilogue. And I was going to record this show and um, just send her what I have. But something moved me to start writing the epilogue um, instead of after I get it back from her. Plus, then it will be actually typo free. Uh, so I wrote it today and it was really fun and it's done. And I just sent it to her maybe 10 minutes ago. So that is off my plate. Um, I have no fiction that I'm in the middle of writing right now. I've got a lot of nonfiction that I'm in the middle of writing, but no fiction. And I'm just going to kind of enjoy this spot. I've got the entire weekend off, no plans, no band practice, um, nothing at all. I want to just lie around and read books and then read books and then maybe get in the hot tub and then read some books 
and then read some more books. That is my definite plan. So that I am looking forward to. In business notes, just a quick catch up. Thank you very much to new patron, Mary Lynn Sutherland. And thank you so much to Erica Kuntz for upping your pledge. Um, If you are a patron on patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, it means you get my essays that I'm so proud of writing on um, creativity and the life of creative people. And you guys mean that I get to do that, that I get to spend the time doing that. So thank you again to past, present, and future patrons. It really means the world to me. And I think that's my entire catch up. I hope that you had a great turkey weekend. And uh, I know I did. I went to a restaurant and we just had people bring us food and then clear the dishes and we tipped really well because I was a waitress and waitressing at the holidays sucks, but uh, it's really fun to go there and eat. And we've spent less than we would have if we'd bought supplies. So it was pretty great. So I hope that you also had a really wonderful time, maybe some friends and family, um, hopefully no arguments and everything went smoothly. I hope that those of you doing nano are still in the, you're, you're, you're in the, you're, the finish line is in sight. You can make it. I gave up on Nano. I got the revisions um, from my editor and that just threw that out the window, but I'd already kind of given up on Nano, which is a fine thing to admit. I did, I will mention, go to the Night of Writing Dangerously, uh, which is NaNoWriMo's big fundraising shindig, uh, which is a magical night of candy and more candy. So that was wonderful. Um, and, and I did write there, but I was working on my revision. So don't tell anybody. But if you are writing Nano, I wish you Godspeed to the end. You can do this. And if you're not, if you're just writing, get some writing done, please. Come over to howdoyouwrite.net and tell me about it. Um, tell me how you're doing. I wish you every good piece of writing karma this week. Whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. But um, get it get it done. I know you can do it. So we will talk soon. And in the meantime, please enjoy this outstanding interview with Marion Roach-Smith. This episode is brought to you by my book, Fast Draft Your Memoir, Write Your Life Story in 45 Hours, which is, by the way, totally doable when I tell you how. It's the same class I teach in the Continuing Studies program at Stanford each year, and I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you have no interest in writing a memoir yet... The book has everything I've ever learned about the process of writing and of revision and of story structure and of just doing this thing that's so hard and yet all we want to do. Pick it up today. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome Marion Roach-Smith to the show. Hello, Marion. Hi there. How are you? I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. You're, you're one of my uh, dream people to talk to. So let me give you a little introduction for people who might not know you. Marianne Roach-Smith is the author of four mass market books, a former staffer at the New York Times. She has been a commentator on NPR's All Things Considered and a talk show host on Sirius Satellite Radio. She currently runs a writing lab and teaches memoir worldwide. And Marianne, why you got on my radar years ago um, was you 
really just know memoir inside and out and you know how to teach it and you share these tools with people and you have these amazing courses and you really do so much for the memoir community and personally it's my passion it's I write all genres but my passion is memoir I teach it in the extension programs at Berkeley and at Stanford and and I'm teaching a class right now so um, a semester-long class right now so I have a lot of memoirish questions that my students are always asking me and always asking you. I'm sure that I'm going to lob at you rather than my normal standard questions. But I would like to hear kind of your history. How did you get involved in memoir specifically? How did it become a passion? Well, I got a job right out of college. doesn't seem possible now, but at 21, I ended up at the New York Times and that was thrilling and wonderful. But I um, also, unfortunately, my mother got sick right after I got there and she was 49 when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Oh God! And it doesn't seem possible, but no one had ever heard of the disease at that time. And I, she got diagnosed in New York City and at the only lab in the country that was doing any research. And I went to the New York Times magazine editor because my mom's doctor said, you know, there are four and a half million people in the country that have this disease. And I said, well, I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And the magazine editor said, well, I've never heard of it. And he said, why don't you write about it? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just a kid. I work downstairs. You've never seen me before. Uh, no. And the, the short version is that the magazine piece he talked me into writing went on to be one of the most reprinted pieces in the history of the magazine at that time. Holy cow. At 26 years old on the Today Show the next day and the five book offers within a first week and all those things you hear that happen to writers, but honestly, when they happen to you and your mama has Alzheimer's disease and your father has just died. Oh, my God. It's not as, it wasn't quite as glamorous as it <laughs> but it launched me to tell it launched me to understand the power of the personal narrative when you're trying to start a national conversation. And that piece helped start a national conversation about a disease now that you can't meet anyone who doesn't know what it is. But at the time, to be part of the beginning of that was gracious and wonderful. But it also taught me the power of the personal narrative. And I thought, wait a minute, I never thought I was going to be a memoir writer. I thought I was going to be a crime reporter or something. Um, And I ended up as a memoir writer, and I really believe in it. And hundreds and, well, thousands of students later, because I've been teaching it for over 20 years, I've seen the power of memoir talk about every topic there is. Right now I have a hundred people I'm working with who are writing under the rubric of she of, of Me Too, for instance. And I'm learning about the power of that and what it does for the writer and what it does for the audience. So that's Absolutely. the nutshell. How yeah. have you seen um uh, because personal narrative back, you know, back in the day really wasn't a thing. Um right. how have you seen that change and grow and explode? It's really an exploding market and has been for the last what, 15 years or so? Um, yeah. Maybe a little more. It's always but... been a powerful genre. I yeah. mean, Anne Frank is a memoir, really. Yeah. And yeah. the slave narrative, we wouldn't know about the day-to-day life of slaves because it was in no one's interest that yeah. we did among the reading and writing population at the time. But those few slave narratives we have endure, and we know what the horrors of slavery were. And we know now about the Me Too and what we're not just reading people complaining, we're reading about how you grow your way out of mm-hmm. a damning narrative and into a life of power and how you have control of your own story. And that's not how to make a happy ending out of a bad situation, how to make lemonade. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you control your story, 
What does it do for your brain? What does it do for your heart? These are complex and interesting things. So the power of, of memoir, I think, over the history of the world has been to keep alive the story of the disenfranchised, absolutely, to give voice to emerging populations, absolutely. I've just read so many narratives in the last year from populations I knew nothing about, whether they be Native Americans, um, the Mexican population in America, which I'm reading a lot about, that I'm learning about, and... So I think that what it's done, if I had to say one word, it's power, giving people mm. power, didn't have the power to be heard. And that's what I love about it. I also love the small stories about the cats do things for people that people cannot do for themselves, that gardening can make you peaceful. I love those. But I think the most recent thing, I think you're right, what we're picking up on is power. I love that exploring finding your own power. Yeah. And then especially in the Me Too movement, um, when women put themselves on the page, what they're doing is actually emboldening other women to do the same thing to or to at least think about it within their hearts and their minds and their and their souls uh, as to what these words mean to them. How do you feel memory plays a role in um, just kind of kind of common everyday therapy? Students are, are, are always, a, you know, and I'm, I'm careful about this topic too. How do you feel about it? Right. So I'm not asking anybody to go back and re-inhabit the trauma mm -hmm. when I ask them to write about it. I'm in fact asking them to put the trauma over there and look at those people as characters. And that's a very different perspective. And having now dealt with hundreds of people in the last 25 years who have dealt with written about trauma where they were overpowered by something, one of the commonalities that I find is this whole idea of gaslighting about yeah. being told yeah. you liked it. Mm -hmm. No, you liked it. No, you wore that dress because yo, you don't tell anyone or I'll kill you. You're being told who you are um, versus being finding out who you are. So memory allows you to look at the thing. But I ask you to put the memory over there and look at it from here. Again, I'm not asking anybody to re-inhabit it. That's a therapist's job. And I keep those very separate. And I hope people are having, I say to them, I hope you're having therapy simultaneous to this, because I'm asking you to do a very different thing here. I'm asking you to answer the question, what is this story really about? And the story is never about sex abuse. If you start talking about gaslighting, what you're really talking about is, are we the product of the stories people tell us about ourselves or the stories we tell ourselves? Now, that's when memoir gets interesting. And so... When I have had so many people who have been writing about abuse come to a very different understanding of what their story is about while they start to think about it. And again, I'm not asking for happy endings. I'm asking for a redefinition because I don't actually want to read a story about sex abuse. I don't want to watch somebody get right, raped right. Right? and nobody benefits from it. Mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. to understand what it's about. And constantly I hear from people, it's about finding my own voice. It's about repurposing my own memory. So then it starts with a memory. That was your question. It starts with memory. But again, I'm not asking you to re-inhabit or reanimate that memory. I'm asking you to look at it from a distance. And that's a very different experience. I love that way of looking at it. And it really does come down to storytelling. And we're all, we're all as humans, we're born storytellers. And, Absolutely. and only, it's only been this year. I've actually gotten into recovery this year. So about mm -hmm. nine months ago, I got sober. And since then, congratulations, that's pretty freaking awesome. I love a high virtual high five. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, um, and, 
what I've learned from this is as a consummate storyteller my whole life, there's so many things in my life that have just been stories that I thought were truth. And even being a memoirist and even thinking about these things, this really snuck up on me. It was a story I hadn't seen coming. And I really like to watch myself and really like to watch students be able to, in the way that you said, put the put the put the um the history over here in the corner and look at it they can, you can also put the story over here and look at it and examine it for the truth of who you are today absolutely and that brings me to character arc um and i always have students struggle with finding their character arc some some students don't some some students know this is where they began. This is this is how they want their this particular memoir to end with a with a shift of some kind. How do you look at character arc in memoir, and how do you encourage students to uh, uh, kind of unearth theirs? So I always have people do this exercise, and I'll bring my hands up here. I have you put your elbows on your hips uh-huh. and stick your palms straight out with your thumbs up. Uh-huh. So you're measuring about you know ten inches or twelve inches or uh-huh. however uh-huh. wide you are. You know, I was going to say you're skinny. It's bigger for oh, me. Sixteen inches. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's 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 sixteen inches yeah. probably. Yeah. And I just want you to go from here to there. I just want you to go from your right hand to your left hand. I want you to take these this these fingers and shove them into your timeline of your life and take out a chunk. And go from here to there. So from the yeah. moment you, like I was brought up in a very heavy drinking family, but a very, they romanticized alcohol. There was Frank Sinatra records and olive dishes and martini glasses. But frequently the people that, the very nice people that brought me up forgot to feed the children, you know? Yeah. And they'd say things like, you had six cocktail onions and a cheese and crackers. You're good. Right? Um. And that's a very complicated message for a kid. That alcohol pre it it, it trumps dinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Oh, and, and and in doing so, it trumps love, right? It trumps love. It trumps yeah. getting your needs met. It trumps getting nourished. Um, actual wonderful, interesting, literate, high functioning people can be can behave this way. That's really complicated. So, I think that what we what we are what we're doing, what we're thinking about, what we're trying to get from a narrative arc is show me from here to there. Show me your transcendence from the romance of alcohol to the no longer romancing alcohol. Mm -hmm. And for me, that would mean, I always say to people in act one, one of the, and this is unique to the way I teach, but one of the absolute requirements of a good act one is for me to see what skills you have on you and what skills you don't. So in an alcoholism memoir in my family, one of the skills I would not have on me would be support from my home people if I were to sober up. But Mm. one of the skills Mm. I did have on me was the woman next door who made us dinner. Mm. And I knew that other families were not like mine. So that's what act one has to show me so that later when I try to have my own family, and I don't repeat the family I grew up in, you know what I'm drawing from. You know what skill I'm drawing from. So I'm very precise in what I ask of Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. I write everything as a three-act problem, cure, living with the cure, and then very specific requirements. And that allows you to just go from here to there. Just go from here to there. And it, 
I talk to people all day long and they have these big, wild oh, stories. It's like a tornado and like a tornado, it picks up the house next door and the house down the street. <laughs> I don't want a house next door and a house down the street and who went to Brearley and who went to Wellesley and you know what? I just want you to go from here to there. What a beautiful then, way to say it. That's it. What a beautiful, I, I just call it, I call it simply a slice of time. Um, but, but you're actually measuring it out and looking at it. And it, it really makes the, the writer realize you can't, this is not an autobiography at all. You're not in an autobiography class. This nope. is, this is memoir. So mm. then let's talk about how, you know, everybody always comes to this. How do you find your own truth? Separate perhaps <laughs> from your sister's truth, who is in the same room with the same parents at the same day. Huh? <laughs> oh, you know, my sisters. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I always say this. The truth is a pizza and you get one slice. But it's, it's, it's you get one slice and you run out of the room with your slice. Right. If the whole family didn't eat their pizza and all came back for their slices and we somehow cooked it again and re, we might have the truth. But the truth never gets the truth. There's first of all, the truth is so subjective. Yeah. Yeah. So my sister, literally, who is a wonderful writer of fairly significant renown, she will be, we were at a dinner the other night, and I was telling a story, and she looked up from her, her hors d'oeuvre and said, that never happened. <laughs> and I, like, yeah, it did. She said, and she says, oh, never listen to her. She says this to people all the time. Never listen to her. She makes up everything. Oh, that would she be hard. She says that my second grade best friend was imaginary. It's like. No, but that's what she needs to believe. So here's what I tell all my students. When your sister says, that's not the way it happened, you say, you're right. That's not the way it happened to you. That's the way it happened to me. Yeah. But my sister, nothing. There is no two, there's no story that we tell the same way. And the beauty of that, that we realized, and we laugh about it now, is we are different, not in spite of the fact that we grew up in the same household. We're actually different because we grew up in the same household. Mm. And the, the real motivating force of family is the similarity and the way we are looking at it from different angles. It is it is that one Christmas tree that fell down in the Christmas of 1964-5 when the squirrel got into the house. <laughs> but you saw it from the stairs and I saw it from the living room. Right. And that changes everything. And, and right? she saw it in one mood and you saw it in another mood, carrying the baggage from the morning that perhaps she wasn't carrying or, or she's right. thinking about something that's happening tomorrow that you're not thinking about. Yeah. Everything she was is in puberty different. and I was still a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Essentially different, different vantage points. Right. So then the next obvious question that always comes up is how do you deal with, um, there's two ways to talk about this. Thinking about friends and family. And of course, we recommend to our students that they do not think, I'm, I'm, sure, I, I'm assuming you do this, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we tell our students not to think about friends and family when we're writing it, that you can think oh, about yeah. that later. Um, <laughs> don't think about it now, for the love of God. How, what, what other advice do you give them? I always tell everybody, I guess you can't say this to your students, but I say this to my students, that never show your work to someone who depends on you for food, <laughs> sex, or shelter. No, I say that. Because I, you're going to get one of two responses. Yeah. You're going to get nice. Or you're going to get what my Midwestern relatives say, which is neat, neither one of which help a bit, right? It's like, what did you just say to me? Did you just really say neat? <laughs> I wrote a story about my mother's Alzheimer's disease, you know, neat about, oh, oh get it. No. God, yeah. So, you know, or a hungry spouse is not a good reader. So be very careful who you show it to. I 
in my classes, the rule, the thing that is so beautiful, the thing that keeps me doing it all the time is that it is the only society I have ever been in where everybody is invested in everyone else's success. Yes. And you need to be in that environment where it's, it's confidential and where I'm working as hard on your tail as I'm working on my own because I learn from helping you with yours. And otherwise, advice, if the person is not a good reader and a good editor, I don't know why you're bringing your work to them. And especially, I think there's a, a, an additional danger for memoirists because so often memoirists, not always, but so often memoirists aren't, um, natural born writers, they haven't always wanted to write. They just want to tell the story of their life. So they're, they're right. so they're not only brand new memoirs, but they're brand new writers. And the and the wrong shade in a word said by somebody you love can destroy what you're Absolutely. doing just because they said it in a in a snippish way because they're having a bad day, and, right. and your book is done. It's, so right. It's like being an adult woman and being called cute. I mean, you just want to tell the person, you know, it's like, what, what about this is, what about this is cute? There's nothing, I'm going for cute here. <laughs> oh my God, you're my new favorite person. I really, yeah, I really I believe this. Baby. I might be going for deadly right now, but I am definitely not going for cute. You know, so they say neat. I, it, it, there's nothing to be gained. So I'm very cold blooded about the work. I need people to get better. I need them to see they can. I need them to appreciate rewrite because there's no such thing as a good first draft. So I need the people in the room to be invested in their success. And that's why I say, don't show this to your spouse, unless your spouse is a really good memoir editor. And I doubt it. Exactly. Not even just an editor, but an editor of memoir. In that case, you might talk about it. As a but... editor. Yeah. yeah, my the newspaper editor. And, and, and we do not agree on style. He's the greatest punctuator in the world. But he, <laughs> he'll tell anybody that he's not allowed to touch my copy except for punctuation because we don't write it. You know, he doesn't. My style it makes his head blow off. You know, he can't. <laughs> It's very funny. It's like, no, no, don't touch it. <laughs> okay, so I, I also love what you're saying, too, about these classes, because um, I've only been teaching memoir for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. And um, and it is unlike any other beast that I've ever taught, because the classes come together. Do you have this? The classes come together in a way I've never seen any other writing class, because it is the shared, intimate space where they are helping each other with the work, but they're also hearing stories that these people wouldn't share with anybody else that they've never put on the page before, which is so gorgeous. And it's such a gorgeous learning environment. But what advice would you give to somebody who's listening to this podcast, who is writing memoir alone, not in a classroom without a community? What would you tell them to do? I would tell them to, to no matter where they are in their writing, to ask themselves, what is this story about? And then to make it really an exercise of depth, and consideration because it's not about your plot line your plot line is the story but what's it about is it about how mercy is a a process of transcending the facts is it about how grief is a process that must be gone through slowly or else you're destined to stay in it forever is it about how closure is a myth is it about that patriotism is really the delicatessen plan and, and you, you live differently. Maybe when you were 13, you said the pledge of allegiance, but at 15, you're taking a knee, you know, and at 16, you're, what are you writing about? Cause you're the illustration of something. It's not about you. So start with that and you'll hate me for saying it because everybody does. I put my, all my students through this. I make them tell me what it's about. And then I make them send me my, their arguments on everything they write and they just can't 
stand it until they see what it does for the piece. What are you arguing here? Every piece of nonfiction is an argument. Even if your yeah. argument is as simple as gardening enriches your soul, to make a piece of memoir work, all you have to do is prove that. Don't tell me it enriches your soul. Go out in the garden and show me. I'm a fly fisher person, and I am standing in streams having near occasions to faith. I'm having remarkably enriching experiences out there in nature, and yet I have yet to write about fly fishing because I don't know what it's about. I don't know which part of me it's making better. I don't understand it yet, so I'm not writing about it yet. When I get a handle on it, I promise, I'll, I'll try. I promise myself, it's not like the world is waiting. But that's it, is ask yourself, what is this about? What? And then, you know, what happens is all of life gets better. Every transaction gets better when you have one. Like, we're having this wonderful conversation here, and I'm changed by it. And I know that, but I'm going to get off the phone after the Skype. The phone's going to ring. Dinner's going to be made. We're going to forget about it, unfortunately. But if you took a minute and you said, what just happened there? And I, the first thing is two women sat and talked about something that they value. They exchanged a currency they both carry. That makes it a different experience in my life as opposed to just saying, well, did that, did this, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to live my life asking, what was that just about? What just happened here? How do you capture that? Are you a journaler? Are you a, or are you a no, note taker or? I consider it after I've learned that in the damnedest moments I've had huge, you know, you can, you can have a moment of transcendence eating a Girl Scout cookie if your head's in the right place. And it's putting your head in the right place, being open. It makes you a better listener, but it makes, I actually think that it makes life better. I actually would go as far and not to get too woo woo on you. I just think that if more people wrote down what they've been through and stopped just yammering, yes. We have a lot less problem on this planet. Yes. And I, I heard recently um, someone say this, and I just can't get it out of my head, but and it keeps coming back to me. Whenever I think about memoir, it's about the what and the so what. And it's such mm. a smooth, easy way to say it. Every Exactly like you're saying, your, your students have to argue each point. They have to give you the so what. So how is it earning its way on the page? And it's funny you say that about fly fishing. I'm not a fly fisher, but I have um, – I've been – I've been really wanting to write this memoir on Venice. I've been going back and forth to Venice for 25 years and I love it. Mm, and I start, and I, oh, it's the best. And I started yeah. to write about it um, this month and I think I have to put it to the side because I don't know the so what yet. I really don't. Right. My, my expression is it, memoir is not about what you did. Memoir is about what you did with it. Yes, exactly. So, you know, maybe that'll roll around in your yeah. head. Oh, and I like that. Understand. We don't know. We don't understand everything. I don't know how I feel about anything until I write it down. I don't. But either. I have a few stories that I've written down that are just for me that have helped me explain why I've been married to the same person for 30 years, that have helped explain to me why going to get my daughter's first school shoes was such a profound experience for mm. me when mm. I saw the man with my little child's hand, foot in his hand and, you know, in this day and age, we're not allowed to touch each other or say anything or. And so as I started to be, I thought I was this cool cat, you know, hey, I'm just getting this school shoes, no big deal. And as I pulled my sunglasses out and put them over my eyes so no one could see me crying, this the salesperson just reached over and touched me on the back of my hand twice oh. as if to say, I know <gasps> this is big and it's really OK. 
And I remember that moment like it was, and it's now 20 something years ago and thinking, this is the rich stuff of life. Yes. Don't miss it. A right? man uh, just, just out here, maybe half a mile away, I was driving my car and I let a pedestrian pass in front of my car. I stopped for the pedestrian as you should. And he looked at me and he smiled in a way that I will never forget. And we had a moment of connection that is deeper than I've had with some people that I've had long conversations with. And I've never there forgotten that moment. It's bringing that kind of thing to life and bringing the, and, and being present for yes. those moments, like being present to talk to you. I am just so yeah. blown away by your energy. I just, I already knew your energy through everything that you write and show and <laughs> teach, but, but just to have this face to face with you. No wonder you, I really consider you the top memoir teacher in the country and and now i know why oh well that's very very nice of you i so appreciate i'm so humbled by that thank you i I love what i do but it's not um it's it's moment to moment it's very moment to moment the three people i've talked to today had very different stories very different problems um the manuscript i read yesterday had a very different set of circumstances I learn every day about the human capacity for forgiveness or for not forgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the work changes you. Don't you think so? Don't you think just changes me every time I I touch it, every time I look at it. And um, and it also goes really deeply into my soul that I I'm allowed to do this work with people. Isn't that I mean, I didn't know I'd be here 20 years ago. I didn't know. I had no idea that I'm allowed to. It's just marvelous. Yes, it's a gift. It's an honor. And it's a responsibility to help people put their hands on their own stories. I have a very wise woman friend who said to me, it's not my energy to keep. And I thought, just let me sit with that. And it's been sitting with me for a couple of years since she said it. And I get it. I get it. It's just keeping this thing going in the world story, keeping it going. You're not supposed to hoard it if you know, Mm. if you can help do it. But every day, I think if we, if we pay attention, we also learn new skills that we can pass along to someone else. You know, somebody yesterday told me the Tolkien quote about, and I'm going to get it, well, she had it wrong and everybody gets it wrong because I went and looked it up and I was like, well, that wasn't really the quote, but the <laughs> gist is not all who wander are lost. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a, from the Bible. You know, I've heard it. I thought it was and too. I, yeah. You know, I stopped and went, where is that from? And it turns out it's from J.R. Tolkien. Okay. Well, she told it to me, and then yesterday I was able to liberate somebody by telling it to him because mm-hmm. he thinks he's on a lost journey, and I don't really think he's lost. I think he's searching, but I think he's a searcher. You know, Wonder, I think there's yeah. there's yeah. those people. So I he doesn't feel lost to me, and he he said really. I said no, I think you're I think you're you've got a, a, a curiosity. It's so inexhaustible. And so I guess that sort of started to sound like therapy. But 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 what you're doing is you're presenting him with an alternate story that he can now play with and tell himself because he's been telling himself one story. It might be right. It might be wrong. And yours might right. be right. It might be wrong. But at least he has another right. story now to play with. And that's right. It's a phenomenal. mirror. Right. Yeah, it is yeah. a mirror. Ask questions and, you know, why did you do that? What I think I think it helps people to to have these conversations. So all day long, I talk to people about their stories, I mean, bad ideas back and forth. And it's such a grace. It's such an interesting thing to do. And and then these, you know, books appear in the mail. And I think, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? It is 
Absolutely amazing. So as we wrap up this amazing conversation, um, what is, what's a, what's a memoir this year or last year that's just blown you out of your socks? What, what have you not been able to stop thinking about? I can never remember anything when somebody puts me on the spot. So yeah, no, I just did a panel the other day with four memoirists who are all immigrants. And one of them was Maeve Higgins, who did Maeve in America, which I just haven't read that. which is funny as it can possibly be. Picking and it another up today. one was this My American Dream, which is just beautiful by Julissa Arce. And she was an undocumented Mexican in getting, making a bazillion dollars at Goldman Sachs and worrying every day that someday she was going to get caught. And she has this extraordinary story, story of being American. And so I read that and I read Kazir Khan's An American Family, of course, Mr. Yes, Khan, the, yes. the, the father of the Gold Star son, and he's a Gold Star family. And he was on the panel, which was such an honor. Wow. I know. I, every ounce of me had to be controlled from just sobbing all over him. It makes me want to cry just thinking about meeting him. <laughs> such an honor. Yeah. And, and, and then we, and so I think that for me, it's this immigrant memoir now is reading we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to read um within the tragedies that are being occurred that are occurring in this country right mm-hmm. now so immigrant memoir right now is what i'm reading a lot of Fabulous. how about you and th- um i have been reading as much as i can but um what have i read recently as, as again i didn't expect you to turn oh, it around on me back at you sorry but i do <laughs> oh you know what i i've really enjoyed guy branham's um last yep. Or I think it's his only book, um, and it's hilarious, and it's of a piece, you know, a a queer man born and raised in the middle of the Central Valley in California, and what that experience was like. Um, This year, I experimented, um, every year I I try to uh, change which memoir I teach, and this year I did Educated of course, by oh, Tara Westover. Tara Westover. Yeah. Amazing. It's an amazing book, and it was really fun to teach, and it, and it really got... Um, differing reactions from people in the class. So I all, I think that's why I do it. I like to change it up every year um, and bring something new. So that's great. But why don't that's you so tell great. us about you and where you can be found and what you offer oh, to readers? So I'm at marionroach.com. That's M-A-R-I-O-N-R-O-A-C-H. And I have a variety of classes I teach now, an entry-level class called Memorama, a class on a two, that's 90 minutes, um, two hours class called Memorama 2, where we will structure your book and it's only six people in the class or seven people in the class and it's you'll come out of it with a book structure a master class that I teach that meets once a month so people have a first draft of a book within six months I teach an op-ed class with my husband who's a former Pulitzer Prize juror he's a syndicated newspaper columnist and the host of a syndicated radio public radio show and he and I teach an op-ed class that's very successful because I think everyone wants to raise their voice right now Mm -hmm. and I'm working on two other I have a passive class that's all about book structure that's six episodes you can just own and I'm working on a class right now that's also be passive meaning it's recorded on how to meet deadlines because it seems like people need a great idea yeah, I think so. I mean, that's not, you, that's I, not out there. I, you don't see that. No, it's coming from my students that they, they, I've sent out a, 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 some kind of data processing, you know, a, a what you would call a poll, mm-hmm. a poll. And we processed it and everybody just wanted accountability, which I thought, I'll give you accountability. Talk to me once a week. <laughs> but they didn't want that funny enough. They wanted, <laughs> right. 
You know, I was like the tomato timer. I said, no, 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 I'm not giving you a tomato timer, you know, right for 20 minutes, but I'll give you a a system because I have a system. That's right? good. And that's I have what? a system. I think you have to have a system to be a full-time writer, you know? I think so. Um, yeah. That's so working on a lot of things. So they can come and reach me in. But the blog has hundreds of thousands of words there for free. Really? That yes. you could just come and read. And I must mention your excellent, excellent book, The Memoir Project, too, which is- Thank you. A, and it's, I have it right in front of me. The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing and life, which is Thank you. I love that little book. It just went into its eighth printing oh seven years after goodness. it was published. Still a little book selling. that could. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. You have just done me such an honor to talk with me today. You are even more amazing than I thought you would be. And oh, I cannot thank you so enough. Imagine being a writer sitting at home working and having an email that comes in and says, I want to talk to you. It's like, oh, you do? Wow. Why? Have you ever met me? I'm crazy. <laughs> You're crazy wonderful. And I hope to meet you in person sometime. I'm sure that. Where, where, do, you, that. where do you live? In New York. Okay. Yeah. And I, that's what I thought. And I get in and out of New York pretty often. So. Let me know. Up sometime. Okay. Thanks, Marion. Thank you so, so, so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm so honored. Take Be care. well. Thank you. Take too. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.